0: Listener Production.
1: More than anything else, as we are struggling with society, we've ended up lying to ourselves better than we could have ever hoped. If you genuinely understand your self truth, you can then confidently get your eyes up, look for people who maybe share the same sorts of truth, and then find like mindedness and then form collectives.
0: I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe, and this is Fast Track. (laughs) (laughs) Disruptors are people who want to change the status quo, and often we see that in a way that a product is created or a way a business or industry is run. I'm thinking of businesses like Uber and Atlassian. But how do we disrupt ourselves and how do we disrupt society? Simon Hammond is the adjunct professor and industry fellow for the Faculty of Business and Law at Swinburne University. He's the founder of HammondThinking.com and the author of Brutal Truths, Surviving in a World of Lies, Taboos and Bullshit, a book that aims to disrupt our complacency of thinking about the current state of our society and what's holding us back. This will divide people as the book tackles some of the sacred cows and deeply divisive topics that surround us beyond COVID-19. Simon, welcome. Tell me, what was the impetus to write Brutal Truths? Well, thanks
1: for having me, Margie, and, and nice to speak to you. I think that more than anything else, I've spent way back 10 years as a journalist, seven years on as a lifeline counsellor, suicide counsellor, 33 years running sessions of deep dives, and I've I came to the conclusion last year that more than anything else as we are struggling with society we've ended up lying to ourselves better than we could have ever hoped and it was frustrating to me because I'm watching a whole lot of things come through my research and through the sessions I run and they're completely contrary to what I'm hearing in popular media or what I'm hearing on social media and and the scuttlebutt is just causing people to scratch their heads and say, what the hell? Are, am I the only one who's gone completely insane? And so I thought, why don't I try and correct this by writing about the lies that are holding us back? And and I was hoping it might be some form of a call to arms for people to uh, look in the mirror, if you like.
0: So what do you hope people get out of this? Because it could be quite confronting and divisive. I know when I read it, I was, for a moment, a bit shocked by a couple of the things that you've said and called out. So what are you hoping readers get from a result of reading it?
1: Well, you know, I think you're you're right to say that in parts it, it will shock because I think it pokes the bear, you know, it says to people, okay, what do you really think? And for me to get them to think that way, and this is what I hope to get out of it, is that they think about things deeply rather than take the superficiality of the social media feed or the superficiality of what Google might be feeding us based on our own existing biases I want people to stop and think and to, if they want to get upset, get upset, but then form their own view. And I think that we're not doing that enough because as we'll talk about, I'm sure in a moment, there are some holy grails that no one's got the guts to go near because when they do, people do get upset and you've got to actually have a conversation or defend yourself. And we've also got, you know, a culture of, of, we love outrage. You know, we love getting upset. So I thought I'd, I'd throw the kind of I throw the cat among the pigeons, if you like, and and really try and get people to look at themselves. And, And I guess to really answer your question, what I'm hoping to get out of it is that people look in the mirror and think about themselves and what they stand for and think about what lane they're in in life and think about how they're leading and not just take everyone else's kind of go this way or do that way. Form your own views. And so I'm hoping by provoking that people will actually start to go, well, okay, I don't agree with that, but I do stand for this.
0: That's great. I think it's a much needed provocation, to be honest. But what are your five brutal truths?
1: Well, the five brutal truths in, in short sort of summary are, and I'll, and I'll do them in order in which I wrote them, even though in many ways they do interlink. So I start off by talking about number one is we are mentally weak, not necessarily mentally ill. Number two is that we've lost our tribes. Number three is that we're not equal. Number four is that we're still animals. And number five is that we need heroes. So they're the five brutal truths. But even saying that, Margie, even uttering those words to you in this podcast, feels like, oh my God, there's so many people now about to strangle whatever they're listening this through. And and it is, you know, they're, they're just sentences. They're almost like the one thing I criticize, which is clickbait. They almost are a clickbait. But they are the start of very detailed discussions about those brutal truths.
0: So can we pick up on one brutal truth that I think our listeners will really engage with at a deeper level? Can we talk about why we have lost our tribes, why we aren't in this together? I'm really curious about how this plays out in the workplace.
1: It it is a huge question because a lot of the work I do is in the workplace. And so you've got to apply this, even though it starts with the individual, and the workplace is a complicated place at the moment because we have such political correction and we have such need for great culture and the two aren't necessarily good bedfellows. You know, so we want people to be themselves. We want them to be the best version of themselves, but then we clip their wings by saying, Don't say anything spontaneous. Don't don't get upset. Don't slam for God's sake, do not slam the boardroom table when you're excited. We are being very careful when I walk into into workplaces, what I've got what I'm seeing is a very fabricated, almost unreal culture. And the cultures are being set by leaders who don't feel that they can actually lead in a powerful, opinion-based, point-of-view way. And so, yeah, it plays out in a major way in the workplace because we've almost lost our tribes. And, you know, you remember through the, through the pandemic, it was all about we're in this together. And I'm not so sure we are. I think that what goes on is that we care about others after we're okay ourselves. And and so as a brutal truth, and I know you want to jump in there, don't you, Maggie? Go on. Go on. <laughs> no,
0: it's all right. I'm I'm listening with deep intent. So keep going.
1: Well, let me put it this way. So mm. remember the book is not necessarily about trying to get a new moral code. The book is about trying to point out some brutal truths that we then need to deal with. And they're not all right. And they're not all good. And they're not all morally correct and good for us. But I do believe, having done all this work over all those 40 years of of journalism through to suicide counselling, everything in between, that we inherently as humans have to have ourselves right first. It's the oxygen on on your face before you help someone else on the plane. And I think the inherent thing is that we look to ourselves first. And when we're okay, we can then form cohesive tribes with others and find like-mindedness and then come together and form great cultures in business.
0: So the individualism versus collectivism, you're not saying individualism is bad. You just say we need to sort ourselves out first and then really build our tribes, which is what's important.
1: That's a brilliant way of putting it because I think what happens is the shorthand of all that is that people jump on it and say, oh, we have to be selfless. We have to look after each other. And of course we do. But when we're talking about forming great cultures, you need to understand individuality and then find what links those individuals with a powerful central core. And that is true collectivism, in my view.
0: What's driven us to this individualism that you're seeing?
1: Well, there are two types. I think individualism has always been there and always been healthy. And then we've entered a, a, an era which I call meism. And that's where individualism all of a sudden becomes out of control and very superficial. And all I care about is my last post or how many friends I have on Facebook. And so that's not true individualism. That that is basically w- what I criticize in the book and called meism where I'm absolutely self kind of obsessed with my own image. And that's a very different thing from knowing thyself. Knowing thyself or individualism is being okay with who you are, understanding a little bit about yourself because you've spent some time on yourself. And then understanding with that how I can contribute to a collective. And so we get confused between these things. And and it's all bundled under this idea of individualism, but it's not. They're very different things.
0: So do we need to get off social media so we don't become commoditized? Do we get off the entire internet because algorithms are running, AI is running what we see and is curating who we are?
1: Yeah, I mean... (sighs) It's hard, isn't it? Because prohibition in the history of mankind has never worked. No, So we can't prohibit people from doing socials. I think what we need to do is instead of going downstream and trying to sort the symptoms out, we need to go back upstream. And the book really is all about the notion of know thyself. You can handle socials. You can handle all that stuff if you know where your feet are sort of planted in the ground. And my problem at the moment is that we are literally sending our kids from primary school to secondary school through socials into university, into jobs, and they've never had a moment to work out what the hell they stand for and who they are. So the socials then become a really bad thing. If they did know who they were, they're not such a bad thing. You and I are on socials. We're okay. I mean, we, because we've spent a lot of time working out what the hell we want to be and who we are in the world. So mm. that's the point.
0: So, I'm interested in your opinion whether we're the most self-obsessed generations in history.
1: We are, There's no doubt about it. We are the most self-obsessed. And the reason we are is it's like kids in a lolly shop. you know if you if you ever look at a kid and say, "You're in a lolly shop, go for it, they'll just eat until they vomit. And we, as humans do the same. We kind of go, this is great. We love this stuff. We've got social media. We've got unprecedented access to anything anywhere through Google. We've got, Awareness of everything, so now we can check and measure everything every day, every minute of the day. And so, what do we do? We use it until we vomit, and and we are doing too much with it. So we don't self-regulate because we're unaware in a self way.
0: Mm. So, what's the uh, antidote for you? Is it just spending the time? Do we all have to go off to a silent yoga retreat to get there? What's the? Is it an incremental change? What's your solution around this?
1: The first solution is give yourself time where there is nothing happening. And so I know it sounds like a very basic thing, but when I look at my three kids and the many um, younger people I employ, um, I look at their lives and every minute is filled up with something. It's either watching Netflix or binging. It is um, on their phones, usually at the same time. They've got electronics and technology coming into their heads the whole time. The first step, Margie, the first step, is to find a rock and sit on it for two hours and think about the world and don't have, any, don't have any media coming at you from some form. The second step then is to give yourself a framework in which to think about yourself. And, and so as I get to the end of the book, I pose a framework, and that framework is based around moments in your life where you felt most full, if you like, and, and I call it the moment of self-truth, where you think about a time where you felt, gee, that was really the best of me. I was on song, right? I was, Everything was going on there and I just loved it. And I break it down into a formula. And the formula is, think of the moment where you really felt like you're on song and then divide it into what talent were you using? In other words, God-given talent. It was that sort of easy way of doing things that just came to you. Plus, what skills that you've picked up were you applying? And thirdly, what effect was that having on whoever you were, you were with? If you put those three things together, you, that's your formula and you can work out the very things you should be doing to know thyself. And so that, there's the formula, but you first need those two hours on a rock just to begin with.
0: Thank you for that. There's a quote in the book that says, we have created a society that moralises selfishness yet advocates individualism and ego. I was really struck by that quote. Can you clarify what you mean by that?
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, for moralising selfishness, what we're saying is that don't be selfish, like there's a greater cause, save the planet, look after each other. And and so we moralise it and we've become quite moral about selfishness and, and don't be selfish. Yet the entire society is completely based on ego, and individualism, and and do for yourself through consumerism what you want today, in fact, this minute, in fact, this second. So we've got this split personality in society where all the messaging, especially to younger people, is you're worth it. You can be anything you want. Just, you know, just do all this thing for yourself. But it's not the right messaging. It should be spend some time and know thyself. And, and then we criticize them for being selfish. So we've got a really big conundrum. A big conundrum.
0: Sounds to me like where the way you describe it, it's a it's a great social dissonance. It's a mm. it's a confusion by the way we behave and the way that what we say.
1: Total confusion. That's exactly the word for it. You know, we are confused. And when I, I spend a lot of time mentoring young kids and they genuinely are wonderful human beings looking for direction and looking to make sense of the world. Very few people are giving them any sense. They're giving them information. They're telling them to go and go and do another you know, piece of this or that. What they don't do, if you go back to the great you know, Hunter S. Thompson, who talked about the ninth path, and I talk about it in the book, and he was advocating back then in the 60s. You've got to know yourself, not just give yourself a plan. Know yourself. And so we are confused, and we're confused by all the mixed messages in society, and we're confused about... Who do I listen to? Do I, you know, and where's that information coming from? I think kids today are really up against it with that confusion.
0: Okay, thank you. So what's a phantom tribe?
1: Phantom tribe is a tribe that isn't real, isn't as real as the old-fashioned tribes where you sit around. And and Mark Zuckerberg, and I'm not putting him up as a great crusader of where society should go, but he talked about four years ago in a manifesto he wrote for Facebook saying that he thinks, uh, and he did research, that he was lamenting true community, which you know we could go into the psychosis of that any moment. <laughs> it's amazing that someone in Facebook is lamenting uh, community, and 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 our connections. But anyway, he was saying that essentially, when you track research, the the breakdown of community, physical community groups, they're down about sixty percent from what they were fifteen to twenty years ago. In other words, we're not meeting in real tribes. We're not coming together, and I'm not getting your body language. I'm not shaking your hand. I'm not. I'm not in. I'm not having coffee with you as much. I'm not in a mother's group or a or a kids group. What I'm doing is I'm creating phantom tribes, and they are things that we think are tribes, but they are devoid of about 50 percent of the true things that make up a tribe, such as, you know, getting out and in the in the trenches with each other and kind of, you know, being out late and and talking rubbish and just just bumping shoulders and all those things we do as humans, and they're missing. So phantom tribes are really these almost like these tribes that aren't quite real.
0: Okay, so last question. You end the chapter with, we're not in this together, it's down to you. Can you explain what this means? How do I take that forward as a concept?
1: Yeah, and it's a provocative thing to say because, and I said it all the way through lockdown, so taking that forward as a concept is not to say that I don't want society to be cohesive. But I think the first thing we need to do to understand how to genuinely get community back is to understand that our human trait is for me to make sure I'm okay first, then my family, and then perhaps I go out from there. So for us to to run, you know, clever advertising slogans and little memes about we're all in this together, what that does for people is it at their very heart and soul confuses them. And I'm, and I'm looking around and going, well, I don't feel like I'm in this together. I go past someone on the street. My eyes are down. Their eyes are down. I'm suspicious. I'm, I think they've got COVID. I, what, what, I'm not in this together. I'm surviving. So to be in this together, and this is where the irony comes around, to be in this together, we need to make sure that it's down to you first. You've got to get yourself right first. And then if you genuinely understand your self-truth, you can then confidently get your eyes up look for people who maybe share the same sorts of truth and then find like-mindedness and then form collectives. And we will reform society. At the moment, we've got these very delicate phantom tribes going on where even in my own business, you know, my collective inside the business is not as strong as it was 10 years ago. People are much more inclined to pull back because they are confused. So, yeah, I think it's down to you means understand your moment of self-truth, understand your self-truth, and then find people to to go through life with. But don't lose yourself in amongst all the rubbish coming at you.
0: Simon, thank you. We could dive into some of these provocative and fascinating brutal truths that you've provided, but I encourage everyone to read the book and see what they think and form an opinion. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Thanks, Margie, for having me. It's been a great chat.
0: Fast Track was presented by me, Margie Hartley. Producer Tina Matalov. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Executive producer Jennifer Goggin. Listener.